Good morning. Thank God it's Friday. Yeah, I like this. Friday. Well done, Jerry. Hey, Greg. Thank God it's TGIF indeed, Brett and Gary. TGIF indeed. Can I just take uh, take you and our listeners immediately behind the curtain as Jeff Braun signing off of his news? We have our newsroom software. It has a crawl at the bottom. So as stories come in, you can see them all. We They have the title is what we refer to as a slug. Don't know why it's called a slug. I probably learned that 16 years ago in school. Whatever. Uh, it's just called the title, the subject line. What? And there's one called Sword Attack. So oh. when it, these are the kinds of stories that make me stop and, and have a peek. Because <laughs> <laughs> how often do you hear of attacks with a sword? It's literal clickbait. Yes. <laughs> Within the newsroom, right? And this, so I looked it up. This is a story out of Bragg Creek, Alberta, mm-hmm. where police say an elderly woman is in hospital and a 19-year-old man is in custody after a sword attack. This happened this morning, so at 12.45 Calgary time, so that would have been 1.45 our time, this woman had been attacked with a sword by another occupant of the home, and she's in serious condition. Oh, boy, this actually took a much darker turn than I was expecting, because sometimes when you see a sword attack, you figure it's going to be some crazy story, but this is actually fairly dark. Um... So hopefully she ends up okay. Uh, but I, you know, you know, I know one. I do know one guy who owns swords. There are they're decorational on this. Actually, no, two. Now that I think, of I was going to say, I guarantee you, you know more than one or two. You just never been in the bedrooms of the other guys <laughs> <laughs> that have swords hanging above their bed. Uh, Jerry Richardson, did you not have swords above your bed once upon a time? I did, and <laughs> and now my son has them. Really? <laughs> Do they have names? No. Okay. They do not have names. All it's right. just Katana 1 and Katana 2. Okay. Katana is very nice. Okay. I don't know what that means, but uh, sounds, like, sounds like names to me, Jerry. It's a Japanese sword. Oh, okay. All right. That's the type of sword that it is. Yes. It's Didn't, like a uh, Koho hockey stick. A katana sword. Is this where a, we're going? It's a katana. Didn't right. it? <laughs> What's that, Sean Connery? Yeah. You cannot die, Highlander. <laughs> Highlander. Just very quickly, Greg, before we move on, katanas are the swords that uh, Leonardo used in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. Okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) It's 6.09. I think I'm just going to go home now. Uh, If you're out on the highways or uh, outlying areas of the city, you might be experiencing some fog this morning. I know there was some uh, fog, and it was really stinky coming over the Disraeli freeway this morning. I don't know. Yeah, maybe we just got that, just that perfect wind from a certain direction. Uh, I don't know if it's the mushroom. Yeah, east, southeast. There you go. That'll do it. A little bit of an east, southeast mm. wind. Uh, I think it's. Uh, I think it's the mushroom plant. Oh, okay. That gets a little bit stinky sometimes. They they must have turned the uh, mushrooms over at some point <laughs> last night. Anyway, it's stinky in some parts of the city, and it's uh, foggy uh, in the outlying areas. We've got at least one text message from a listener reporting thick fog on Highway 8. So oh. you're likely to encounter that on Highway 9, Highway 7, uh, and other uh, parts of the province. So if you are seeing that and... 
can't really see very well, and you can safely let us know, 780-6868. Something a lot of people saw yesterday, the new $10 bill featuring Viola Desmond, but also featuring the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Yeah, that's kind of neat. I think it's really cool, but a little some people are bent out of shape because... They've printed the money vertically. I think that's neat. Well, isn't that kind of how you use it now? Predominantly in a vending machine or when you hand someone the bill, it's facing you vertically. Jeff Braun's concerned that he's going to be forced to carry his wallet differently now. He's going to have to turn it sideways in his pocket to, uh, to conform to this new change. It's still the same color. You know what bill it is. It's still the same shape, too. But you know Jeff. He likes to take the ridiculous to the sublime and, and then uh, one more degree of uh, craziness. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of cool uh, to see the Canadian Museum for Human Rights on the money. And obviously, we spoke about the fact that Viola De- Desmond was going to be honored on this bill some time ago when the decision was made. Uh, uh, you know, our money, you can make fun of it all you want. Other parts of the world, I think our, our money is gorgeous. Oh, I think, the yeah, our money is really beautiful. And it, it made me realize, I don't think I've ever actually taken a really close look at the bill, or I haven't in a long time. Like, I, when you made the observation that the, the, the Museum for Human Rights is on the new bill, I thought, what... What? Because I have a five dollar bill in my wallet. You have looking all at it right sorts now. of money in that wallet. Uh, no, I don't. It's mostly uh, unchecked lottery tickets. But uh, yeah, there's a can at arm. There's a, it's in space. That's really cool. Have now, you, you ever looked at it? Nope. Here, look at it. No, I never. I never have money anymore. There's a dude in space with a can at arm. That is really cool. Where do I go and visit that? So, yeah, I'm just... I can't, right? I can't. (laughs) You can't visit that, but you can visit what's on the $10 bill now. (laughs) We were wondering if this will be a little bit of advertising for the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Might it uh, encourage people to learn a little bit more about the building and perhaps come from other parts of the country to visit Winnipeg and to go to the museum. I said yesterday it only cost us $350 million to get on the back of the money. (laughs) Pretty good. Pretty good investment there. Let's let the eruption play a little bit there. A little early for the Van Halen audio snack, but I'm not complaining. I hope you aren't either. Mackling McGarry in the morning. It's never too early. It is Friday, Friday, Friday. And tonight, Windstock Battle of the Bands is on tap. It's uh, at the Cowboys Destination Center, Windsor Park Inn. Doors open at 5.30. Gets going around 6 o'clock. It's the 14th annual, Brett. Honored to be a part of this, along with our colleague and friend, Richard Cluche, looking to surpass $1 million in total monies raised in the last uh, 13 years. This should take it over the top. Winstock was the brainchild of Alan Jacks of the Knowledge Bureau. And Margie Nelson tells the news with Richard and Julie about one of the largest beneficiaries of this incredible event over the years. It's called the Movement Center. A registered charity providing programs for children and adults with movement disabilities. And we're unique. We're one of three centers in Canada that do what we do. And we teach individuals, young and old, how to move again when they have lost the, uh, the ability to do so. Al Jax, what's Winstock? 
Winstock is a battle of the bands. It's a charity fundraiser. It's uh, designed specifically for raising mon- uh, money for under-the-radar charities in Winnipeg. These are the ones that uh, don't get any government funding, don't have any national fundraising arms. They do great things here in Winnipeg, but they have to, they rely on what they, they raise in terms of local fundraising activities. And these are very good bands. They all have a bit of a financial bent to them. Uh, but these, this really highlights the alter egos of a lot of people, doesn't it? We get these type A personalities. It's just amazing. There'll be guys that you've never seen out of a pinstripe suit. And they're up there with uh, torn jeans and head bandanas, <laughs> and they're rocking it so for charity. Like everybody from surgeons to realtors type thing? To CEOs. It's, it's unbelievable when they get up on stage and they, they really let loose. And, and do they have this hidden talent, or have they just pulled this together for the event? It is an. It's amazing. Many of them have haven't played a guitar or a drum or organ since uh, since high school. But you know they have. They form this band for a half hour set to compete, and they have secret practices, secret set lists, <laughs> and you know it's very oh, uh, it, and it's good. competitive. It is very competitive, and these bands are good. Yes, they are. They all come with a theme. You know they have their own little theme and their own genre of music that they're going to play, and it uh, it's a blast. Now, I don't want to make this about me, Brett, but um, Cluchel will be the MC tonight, but I get to sit between two legends of broadcasting, Tom McGoran and Howard Manshine. The quintessential. Exactly. As we judge the competition tonight, that is going to be absolutely phenomenal. We've got one band called Brittany Spears, who's doing uh, British music, awesome. to uh, Huey and the Lewis set. All sorts of wonderful, wonderful ta- tunes. Really danceable, great music. We've had, we've in the past, we've had uh, everything from country and western to acapella uh, groups wow. coming. Yeah, in. It, yeah. it, it's, it's just people that want to get up and they want to let their, their inner self out on stage and, and raise Al, money I have for to admit, what I think is really cool is as a 50-something-year-old uh, individual, I mean, when is the last time you were in a bar with your peers? At this event, you're in a bar with your peers. That's it's, true. It's phenomenal. It's great. I probably haven't been in that bar specifically since I was probably... Dot, 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 right? 19, maybe? <laughs> Back when it was Night Moves. Yeah, probably. Oh, yeah. boy. I felt that way last year. <laughs> <laughs> if walls could talk. Uh, you know, and and the cause is tremendous because, Al, as you said, this is fundraising for uh, causes that are generally under the radar. Right. And you folks, uh, and I spent some time there last year along with Greg Mackling, who's one of the judges this year, is that uh, you will take people that have been written off by a lot of parts of society. Correct. And help them regain something. Something. Yeah, and in some cases it's their freedom, in some cases, but it's honor, and they speak so highly of of the process and what you do, and and what the folks at the movement center um, do. And uh, if you get a chance to come out on Friday night, uh, you're going to hear some of those inspiring stories. That's Richard Cluche, as mentioned. He will act as MC this evening. Now I'm not sure. How we are going to auction off this amazing prize, whether it'll be live on stage or maybe silent auction. Either way, there is a chance my kids will not be eating next month. Oh? <laughs> Alan Jacks on how they got their hands on a 1995 signed guitar from Sammy, Eddie, oh. Alex, and Michael. <laughs> I've been working everybody that I know. Uh, and uh, I've got a cousin who lives in L.A. and I just said, you got to get, get something for us. 
and he's been working a lot of people that he knows in the music business and uh he finally was giving up, and I just said, "Gee, will you just sign one for with your own name on it or something and send it to me?" And lo and behold, he says, uh, "I got a collector who has a a 1995 uh, a vintage guitar signed by all the members of Van Halen. It's been sitting in his uh, in his closet, gathering dust, and he's uh, donating it to the the event." So you want that thing then? Yeah, it'll go from someone's closet collecting dust to hanging on my wall and collecting dust. <laughs> Winstock.ca if you want to get tickets. Very few potentially available at the door. Event starts at 6. Once again, that's at the Cowboys Destination Centre, Windsor Park Inn. Uh, doors open at 5.30. It ought to be a blast. We'd love to see you down there. Windsor Park Inn. Oh, we were just having a chat the other day about Tavern United, which was previously Stereo, Pharaohs, Euphoria, Club Soda. Cowboys previously, was it, uh, I think it immediately before Cow- Cowboys, it was called the Coliseum. And then I think it was Boogie Nights before that. When you, when you walked into the Coliseum, it had this weird uh, voice greeting that would say, the, the, Welcome to the Coliseum! <laughs> Welcome! Uh, so <laughs> it probably didn't sound like that, but that's how it I remember it in my pretty head. pretty close, and it was <laughs> Night Moves, I think, in its first incarnation. A lot of great yeah. Canadian bands, a lot of great rock and roll over the years there. They'll do that again. Uh, tonight, I saw Fozzie play at, you uh, did at the Coliseum. Yeah, Jer- Chris Jericho's band. I saw him when it was uh, when he, the WWE was kind of at its peak in the late '90s, early 2000s, and Fozzie came through and played there. And it was that's a great room for a concert. Well, this week you've been hearing stories and interviews from our series Shattering Glass, Winnipeg's Women. With the series wrapping up today, we wanted to spend some time. Reflecting. Today we're having coffee, talking, shattering glass, Winnipeg's women. What have you taken away from our series, Brett? Uh, donuts. Yeah, <laughs> I did. <laughs> I took away very uh, many donuts and uh, chocolate-covered Millennium Falcons, and or, or I guess it was a chocolate-covered Oreo cookie shaped like a Millennium Falcon, and uh, some macarons from Generate Cakes. No, the, the takeaway for me... And I alluded to some of the things that I learned were were kind of painful. It were was that it was frustrating to learn that all all of the women I spoke to all kind of had to deal with similar discrimination, really, in in the sense that when they would go for financial aid or they would try, just people wouldn't take them seriously. They'd look to their fathers as their the owner of the shop or their husband. They would look, you know, people would just automatically assume, even though the name on the application or whatever is not a man's name, they would just assume that it's the guy. And that that really bothered me um, because I've, Greg and I have sort of developed, uh, you know, we've, we've spoken to so many wonderful, bright, young women over the last year. And uh, to know that just a small sample of them have gone through that means probably all of them have gone through that, if not most of them. So, yeah, that's frustrating, but it's also been inspiring to see how they persevere and uh, all the great things that they've brought to this city, this and this community of young women entrepreneurs. So that was just sort of my personal stake in this week. But, of course, we've learned so much more. I'm very excited to hear what Chanelie's bringing to the table to Shattering Glass coming up at 7.45. You want to give us a little bit of a, a tease, a preview? Well... <clears throat> Well, it's been uh, 102 years since women in Manitoba got the provincial vote. We were the first province in Canada to uh, to have that 
privilege. And so what would Nellie McClung think of Winnipeg's uh, Winnipeg now and, and Canada now and women's rights now? Do you think she would think we've come far enough or we still have work to do? So find out at 745. You have an interview with Nellie McClung. Uh, I have an interview with Nellie McClung's great-granddaughter, actually. Well, that's about as close as you're going to get, so I'm looking forward to that. Kelly, I know we had a a similar conversation in the newsroom uh, yesterday. It's been a very, very powerful week, I think. It has, Greg. There's no doubt about it. And uh, my contributions... Wow, it was sports related. There's a shocker. But uh, <laughs> I had a chance to uh, to chat with two women who I greatly admire. I, I've watched them perform and, and got to know them a little bit. Uh, Susan Ock and Jill Mathis. Uh, and uh, what, I guess my biggest takeaway is when the conversation came up to that term, I, you know, I felt powerless. How many times have we heard that, you know, since the uh, advent of the Me Too and Time's Up movement? And the thing that struck me was how Susan and Jill both took umbrage with that, that women should never, ever feel powerless, and that you should always, always have the gumption to stand up for yourself. Those two certainly have in getting to where they, they have been. So I guess the takeaway for me is, you know, until you've worn the boots of those women who were powerless, I don't know that we can ever you know, uh, say whether that's right or wrong. But I think the environment that has been established now is I don't think women need to feel powerless anymore. I think they realize they can, they don't have to give up on their dreams to stand up for what they believe in. I think when most of us hear the word pioneers, at least in terms of Canadian history, we think of 1700s, 1800s. Uh, But Jerry, lots of pioneers in this day and age. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? The thing that I took away from this week was the great conversation that it actually spurred on. Uh, The conversations I've had with women uh, in my life and uh, the the thing that that really came out to me in those conversations that were spurred on because of this series that we've done is uh, how women just feel, the women I was talking to anyway, I'm not going to speak for all women, uh, feel like it's just kind of a kick in the teeth. Uh, that, uh, you know, there's International Women's Day and all these big companies are saying, oh, hey, celebrate women, celebrate women. And yet, the you know, the, the wage discrepancy between men and women is still huge. These are companies that that are perpetuating this this wage gap, yet they're, they're saying, oh, we're celebrating women. And, and uh, it just seems to a lot of the women I was talking to that this is just a kick in the teeth and a reminder of how much they've been downtrodden over the years. And uh, the survey that came out the other day that said that it was going to be 210 years before there's equality in, in pay, Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So if these companies who are spending all this money on marketing about International Women's Day would actually put some of that money where it needs to go towards the women who are working for them and making their companies what they are, then maybe it wouldn't take 210 years to get there. Well, and I think some of that probably comes down to what we learned as well in the other surveys that uh, women often just don't try to negotiate as fiercely as men. And I think maybe that's that's got to be one of the contributing factors to that. Hang on, Kelly. <clears throat> um and 
Ah, sorry, I lost sorry, my train. Sorry, no, 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 it's okay. I, I just wanted to let you know. I, I also just wanted to give a plug to Jerry. When you are listening to these features and you hear the music and some of the production elements, it was that man behind the glass that did all that. So uh, I just wanted to throw that in very quickly. Well, we heard from Kelly Keene yesterday, even something like negotiating a loan, even applying for the loan, as we heard from the Women Enterprise Center. Women are less likely to apply for a loan. They are more likely to be involved in a business that's less profitable. So the, the negotiating aspect of things, it's not that, trust me, I know lots of women oh, yeah, that you I know, would we're, have we're negotiate just, anything for women, me. We're just women, you know, but, we, don't, we don't know how to negotiate. And I was like listening yesterday to Lara Ray. Um, you know, she made the journey from uh, man to, to woman and talking about how her life has changed and how people view her differently now that she's a woman. And and it's, it's not very, very nice and how men would just... Get in front of her in in line, and 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 that that's really struck me a lot. And what I I was been thinking a lot about anger is such a wonderful thing because anger is going to it motivates us to make change and to get there out, out on the streets. And that's such an important thing is to make your voices heard. And also, what I've learned, especially learning about Nellie McClung and the suffragists, is. No one does this alone. You have to work together. You have right. to work with other people. And you also have to make sure that everyone has equality, not just all women, not just men, everyone. Yeah, and actually, and sorry, it took me a while to circle back to my thought here where we was going to go with that was women maybe don't negotiate as fiercely in, as men in general. And that's uh, that's one of the reasons why I think there's a, a pay gap. And that, that was one of the... the the things that really frustrated me this week too to learn that uh, women felt like maybe they weren't as or they couldn't negotiate as fiercely so then you have this pay gap where women are not being paid as much as others might be and at that point the company's won right they 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 right. say well or why we're paying you X? Why would we pay you Y? Those words have been told to me. Right. We're already paying you this. Why are we going to pay you more? And I made the analogy with Kelly Keene yesterday. I know from myself, looking back on my checkered uh, financial history personally, I know the first time that someone agreed to give me a mortgage, I was thrilled. I didn't care what the interest rate was. I was thrilled. And I think that there are men and women who have that same state of mind. And the more we empower one another to give ourselves self-worth, uh, the more successful we will all be in the end. That's that's really what I've taken out of this. Just want to clarify something that in, we were talking about in having coffee talking. And I brought up the fact that uh, we learned in surveys this week that women often don't feel like they can negotiate or that they don't negotiate as ferociously. And that's feedback that women have provided to in surveys. Uh, BDC, uh, Business Development Bank of Canada, for example, re- revealed some statistics that show that uh, women have a lower propensity to request financing versus male entrepreneurs, for example. We spoke with Kelly Keene yesterday. A Leger poll talked about things that women feel like they face as it pertains to finances. So as I brought that up earlier, I didn't quite qualify that. So I just wanted to clear the air. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that these are not outside judgments uh, that people are imposing upon women. These are... These are uh, feelings and perceptions and interpretations that women have of themselves and their own 
actions and activities. We also had a conversation the last hour, a little bit of housekeeping here before we move along. We had a conversation about uh, the Windsor Park Inn and the different bars that have been there over the years. Uh, There's an event tonight happening at Cowboys Destination Centre. And we were trying to remember all the different things that used to be there in that corner of the Windsor Park Inn. And uh, Brett, you have a revelation. It was, well, it's currently Cowboys, Right, at uh, Windsor Park. Before Cowboys, it was the Coliseum. Before that, it was Boogie Nights. And a listener at 204-780-6868 texted and said, wasn't there a country bar before that? And I said, oh, my God, you're right. Couldn't remember, couldn't remember. And then I, I, I did some Googling and found a, a reference to the Stardust Saloon. So it went from night moves to the Stardust Saloon? Yes. Wow. Yeah. And I also suggested that the uh, that night moves was the bar uh, where the Tragically Hip got unceremoniously dumped for playing their own tunes and not cover tunes. It was that exact same bar but on the diametrically opposite end of the city in Garden City. It was, in fact, uh, up at the Garden City Inn. It was called the Diamond Club Oh wow. back then. Okay. So we had a caller phone in. I went back to uh, found some notes from John Kendall on the story, and uh, sure enough, it was the Diamond Club <laughs> located at the Garden City Inn. Tonight at midnight is the early bird deadline in support of the St. Boniface Hospital Mega Million Lottery. Brett, as you know, I'm very uh, honored, privileged to be a co-spokesperson in that lottery. That part of the you know, St. Boniface Hospital means a lot to me. One part of the hospital in particular, the neonatal intensive care unit and Winnipeg Jets forward Matthew Perot is also co-spokesperson for this year's lottery and uh, well he and I have something in common we both have a set of twins that both spent time in the neonatal intensive care unit so Matthew's now the proud father of three a two-year-old daughter and twins that were born in September and I caught up with Matthew on trade deadline day February 26th so Matthew Two babies at once, it's a little bit of a blessing. It's also a little bit tough. Tell us, uh, first of all, the blessing that yeah. comes with twins. Yeah, that was that was great when we got the news. Uh, you know, I was I was really happy about it. Um, you know, and the, when they, they, they arrived, you know, it was it was great. And it, like you said, it's been, it's been a lot of work, but at the same time, so much fun. When did you find out? How early in the pregnancy did you find out you were having two? Uh, I was back home. That was this summer. Uh, we went for um, heartbeat, and then they... They figure out there's two hearts in there, so uh, that's that's how we kind of figure out. It was me and my wife, so we uh, had a little tear of joy. I was actually really happy to you know knowing that I was going to have twins, so it was a great moment. I think Jenny said she has twins in her family. That's all her fault, then. Is that what we're saying? Yes, that's her fault. I had nothing to do with it, so it's all it's all her fault. But yeah, it's it's all good. It's it's been it's been great. Twins are typically a little bit early. Were you prepared for that eventuality that uh, the twins might spend a little bit time in the NICU? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you can really prepare for this. Um, you know, it just kind of happened. It, you know, all of a sudden she's going to labor and we're rushing to the hospital. And, yeah, it was a few uh, few weeks early, but, uh, you know, they did a great job, uh, you know, taking care of her, of her baby. So it went really smooth. And then, uh, you know, they had him in for, uh, for I think, a week for us there. And uh, we went in there every day to check on him. And it was, uh, they, were, they were great for us. I can tell you the first time I had you ever, ever even heard of the NICU I was standing in the middle of it and they're talking right about you know what the next week two weeks it turned out to be a month for mine but they put you to work right away right like yeah. they're there you're not sitting on the sidelines like you're part of the care team yes, yes absolutely and I didn't know anything about it either uh, I just you learn 
as you go and uh yeah you're in there every day you know try to help them feed the babies do anything you can to to help and it was uh, you know the it was a challenging uh a week for sure but it was at the same time you know we uh we learned from it and it was it was it was great now you don't want to dwell on any negatives but any scares at all you know i know we had a couple anything right. where you were like boy this is not the way it's mm -hmm. supposed to go right yeah a little bit at first you know some someone i think wrong with the, the breathing a little bit so you know that's the reason why they kept them in so yeah you get a little nervous about it but right away you know once you get in there you you feel safe you feel you know they're taking really good care so it went smooth now i always say this for as much as they cared for my twins they cared for my wife and i just as much was that your experience yes absolutely you know they like i said they they've done such a Great job taking care of the entire family. You know, they let us also bring our older uh, daughter in, and you know, she got to see the twins. So it was, it was, uh, they were absolutely great to us. So now you get the twins home, and that's a challenge all on its own. Talk about uh, the challenges. Uh, uh, your favorite ones. <laughs> favorite ones. Yeah, it's uh, the first few weeks. I'd say it's literally you just, you know, feeding them every three hours. But I feel like now, you know, five months old, they're starting to be. You start to interact a little bit more with them, so it's it's you know every step is is different, and it I mean it's it's been a lot of work, but at the same times you know having babies is is the greatest thing in the world, so I've been I've been enjoying it. I mean, a lot of people would say you already have the greatest job outside of being a dad, but I endorse what you just said. Being a dad is simply the best, and. Uh, you become a little bit of a celebrity, even if you weren't Matthew Perot. I know when I go to the mall with my twins, people are looking, and you know, to have to have double of anything, it's a it's a it's a curiosity conversation yeah. for people. Yes, absolutely. You know, they, you know, you get high fives from people. Like, I don't know how you do it. You know, it's just having one is is a lot of work, so they can't imagine having two. But you know what? You kind of figure it out, and you go along with it. And it's like I said, it's it's been great. Now I know she's sitting in the room, but talk about Jenny and, and what she does to, to pull all this off because uh, I'd look back on the time with uh, Jackie and what she did with with our boys and I just I don't know how she did everything that she did you can you can brag a little bit yeah no she's been amazing honestly it's for me being on the role playing hockey and even home games I'm gone all day and she she has to put up with all, all of this you know and uh, just not just taking care of the kids she has to take care of you know most of the house and stuff like that so she's been amazing and I uh, can't be uh, more thankful for everything she does for our family. So being a part of the community here in Winnipeg, there's it's a double-edged sword. You, people recognize you everywhere you go, uh, but I don't think there's any doubt that you've become a genuine part of the community. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sitting with us here today sharing your story. Tell us about uh, your relationship with the entire city. Yeah, obviously, you know, when you play for the Winnipeg Jets, you're – you get recognized a, a lot, but I, I thought at the hospital, you know, they, they didn't really do, uh, you know, a big deal about it. I felt like I was just a, another regular guy going to see his baby, so that was great. And, uh, yeah, but other than that, yeah, this, this city's, you know, it's a great city to play hockey, so I've, I've had a lot of fun, you know, people coming up to me and recognizing me, and it's been, it's been a lot of fun here in Winnipeg. So now all your babies, all three of them now, are Winnipeggers. They've got Manitoba birth certificates, so that'll be a special thing, you know, moving forward. Are you starting to, to yeah. get that sense about, you know, not just now, but in the future, you'll look back on your time here and go, hey, that was a pretty special time. Yes, absolutely. You know, I'll feel connected to this city for uh, the rest of my life. You know, I've been playing hockey here and having all my kids. They're, they're from Winnipeg, so that's going to carry them for the rest of their life. And, yeah, like, like you're saying, Winnipeg is going to be a part of my life for forever. Thank you to Matthew Perot, Jenny Perot, and their beautiful children, Violet, 
Penelope and Hector for opening uh, their home to us here at uh, 680 CJOB and Global News. Uh, Eva Kovacs doing some uh, television features uh, with the Perot family. And also you can go to our Facebook page, 680 CJOB, and you can see the video and the extended conversation with myself and Matthew Perot. play the uh, recorder you should hire them to teach you to play the trumpet that's my saxophone yeah not good not good you need to work on that one Mackling and McGarry in the morning Jeff Braun and uh, Brett McGarry the coach potatoes on either side of me if you don't want to go see Frozen Disney on ice downtown this weekend you can absolutely take in some uh, Disney entertainment another way Brett yeah the big one this week is from Disney it's an adaptation of the classic book uh, Wrinkle in Time uh, which was first published in 1962, science fiction novel getting all kinds of awards at that time, previously adapted for a TV film by Disney in 2003. Now it's getting the silver screen treatment, and it looks pretty cool. Uh, the cast includes Oprah Winfrey as Mrs. Witch, Reese Witherspoon as Mrs. What's-It, Mindy Kaling as Mrs. Who, and Chris Pine plays the dad who's gone missing somewhere in time and space, unfortunately getting more bad reviews than good. I still think it looks cool, though. And Jeff, I always have a hard time sort of Remembering all the the handsome Chris's out there. So there's in Hollywood. There's Chris Pine. Check. Uh, he's Captain Kirk. Yep. There's Chris uh, Evans. He's Captain America. Chris right? Pratt. Who's Star Lord? Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> and Hemsworth. <laughs> and Hemsworth. Yeah. It's Thor. And uh, Rock. Is sometimes in movies. The The Rock. Chris Rock. Oh, Chris Rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like The Rock, I think his name is Dwayne Johnson, uh, Jeff. There are other rocks too. There's Chris Rock, The Rock, and Kid Rock. Okay, now here this and this is uh, there are six movies in total, so we might not have time to Starting get into full detail. Yeah, one of in them Winnipeg. in Winnipeg. Uh, one crazy. of them is one that uh, I, I want to see if you had this right on your sheet. And I did. It's an Oscar winner uh, that is playing at Landmark Cinemas Grand Park. Here it is. It's the best foreign language film, A Fantastic Woman. It's from Chile, and you had that right on your sheet? Yep. Lucky guess. It was, I think, uh, the first in the list of the movie, so I picked it. <laughs> he won the pool. You did? He won the Oscar 20 out of 24. Pool. Well, you should win the pool. There's no pressure there at all. <laughs> and I love the way... Who said Chile? I did. Oh, love the... the beautiful pronunciation. Hey, also on the subject of the Oscars, uh, Cineplex McGillivray playing a bunch of Oscar winners this weekend. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Which one, do you remember which ones it, it took off the top of your head outside of the, Just the uh, two Francis acting McDormand? Ones and the uh, Best Supporting Actor. Uh, Sam Rockwell? Right. Yeah. Did, did you ever see a movie that he did called Moon? No. I heard about it twice this last week. I this is the first I've ever heard of it. Yeah, he uh, plays this guy who's just working at this station on the moon, and uh, it's a kind of a sort of a, I don't want to say psychological thriller, but there's definitely a sort of a creepy psychological component to it. And it's a little independent space movie, highly recommended. Hmm. Uh, the Post also playing I, Tanya, and Call Me By Your Name if you want to check out an Oscar film. You'll see The Post. That's weirdly underrated since it didn't win anything. I was just about to yeah. ask you, would that be worth my time? Yeah, Because I think I want to see it. 
Yeah. There's a movie that I'm actually really excited about. Of all the movies out this weekend, I think this is the one I'm most jazzed about. I'd, I'd never heard of it until about 4.35 this morning. It's called Thoroughbreds and is about two teenage girls in suburban Connecticut. They rekindle their unlikely friendship after growing apart for the last few years. And one of the girls has a really mean stepdad, and that's a problem for both of the girls. Here's a clip. I'm sending you to boarding school. After that, you're off my payroll. You hate him. You despise him. Honey, you can't go in looking like that. I'm fine. Just... I'm not going to have to stand here all day like a robot repeating myself. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You ever think about just killing him? How would you? <laughs> wow. <laughs> that guy sounds like someone we work with, but I won't get into names. Yeah. <laughs> It's, uh, you should w- just watch the trailer for Thorbeds. It looks really cool, so I'm excited uh, about that one. I'm intrigued. Uh, there's one that Jeff certainly wouldn't like. It's called The Strangers Pray <laughs> at Night. I nope. won't even play a clip for you. Too creepy. It's a scary movie. I saw movie. a photo of just a movie still on Twitter this morning, and I will, I'll have nightmares about that. It's just a guy in a mask. <laughs> but it's creepy as all get out. <laughs> this one, this next one looks pretty good. I'm, I'm cheating. I'm looking ahead. Uh-huh. I think you're going to talk about Gringo. Well, hang on. I just want to quickly say about the strangers. Um, if it sounds like you're in a deja vu situation, this is a sequel to a movie that came out 10 years ago. It, that one starred Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman. They were having a romantic night in a cabin. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. And when I was listening to the storyline, I'm thinking, I th- I feel like I've seen this before. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That, yeah, that movie was creepy. It was just about random psychos and masks who terrorize them and uh, I think kill them. And Gross. this is so the sequel is basically the same thing, just 10 years later. Don't know why they had to redo it. Uh, but Gringo, this one, great cast Charlize Theron, David Yellowo, Joel Edgerton, Amanda Seyfried, Tandy Newton, and Charlotte Copley. It's a dark comedy. Mixed with action and intrigue, takes a boring businessman, Harold, played by Oyelowo, into Mexico, where he gets caught up with drug lords and a black ops mercenary. Uh, I think it looks fun, great cast, but the reviews are kind of meh. So, I don't know. It's that thing, ever since Tarantino came on the scene, once a year or twice a year, you get a movie like this that sort of tries to be the next Tarantino thing, and it just almost never works. Yeah. yeah. Last year, it was that Free Fire, or whatever it was called. I can't even remember what it's called. I hate it also it so had much. Carl Toshopoli Copley in it, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, uh, the woman from Room, who's going to be Captain, Brie Larson. Right. This one, I also wanted to bring to your attention, Jeff, because... I, well, for one thing, I can't believe it's being released in theaters. When I watch the trailer, it, it looks like a straight-to-video B-movie, but it's being advertised as from the director of The Fast and the Furious. The Ooh. first Fast and Furious? No, uh, I guess so. The Fast and the Furious, that's right, because that would have been the very first yeah. one, because the fourth one was Fast and Furious, right? right? Okay. And it's Rob Cohen. Yeah. Yeah, he hasn't directed the good ones of okay. The Fast and the Furious. Okay, well, it's a movie called The Hurricane Heist. Here's the... The, how it goes. the premise is ridiculous. As a hurricane approaches, criminals try to break into a U.S. mint facility to steal $600 million, but then the hurricane blows up into a Category 5 storm. Maggie Grace, who played who on Lost? She was Shannon. Red flag, by the way. If Maggie Grace is in your movie, your movie is bad. She was in Taken. Yeah, Taken was good. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. Come well, on. The first so. Taken? She's not. She's terrible in it. Aww. She deserved to be taken, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she's got to save the day. Here's a clip. Here goes nothing. 
You better hope not. Let's get the money. That thing wants to swallow us whole. Hell of a day, ain't it? Got scorpions, how can it be bad? This is my, maybe my favorite part about the whole thing. So Maggie Grace <laughs> plays a treasury agent, and she allies herself with a meteorologist <laughs> who is terrified of hurricanes, but he's <laughs> determined to save his estranged brother kidnapped by the thieves, and he uses his knowledge of the storm as a weapon to win in this non-stop action thriller ride charged with adrenaline throughout. I, it looks bad. That's amazing. Yeah, Sharknado not, meets yeah. a bank heist. I'm with you. I, I don't get why that's being put in the theaters either. I would say, do Megan Grace's parents own a chain of movie theaters or something? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So there you go. Six movies, wow. uh, brand new movies to check out in theaters. And I'll have more details on this throughout the afternoon as well uh, with Hal Anderson. And then on the news of Richard and Julie. Jeff Braun, Couch Potatoes tomorrow at noon. And then again, 6 p.m. on Sunday. Thank you very much, sir. Shattering Glass, Winnipeg's Women, on 680 CJOB. We need those kind of role models. We need those kind of people to say, she did it, she wasn't afraid, I can do it. That is the voice of Doris Myalton, chair of the Nellie McClung Foundation. When you ask anyone who is a great Canadian, Manitoba's Nellie McClung often makes that list. McClung was an outspoken woman, writer, and later a politician. As a suffragist, she made her mission to join the fight for women's rights more than a hundred years ago. 680 CJB Shanalee Vidal looks at Nellie, what Nellie McClung would think of women's lives today. Farm wives at the time, that was a hard, 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 hard life. Many of them were isolated. They wouldn't have a lot of contact with other women. She wanted women to be able to be involved and I think more than anything, she wanted women to be free of violence, and and she thought the way to get that was, A, get the men off the drink, and B, let women have the vote. In 1914, McClung and her fellow suffragists famously staged a mock parliament at the Walker Theatre. You may have grown up seeing the Heritage Minute on television. What would happen if we actually allowed men to vote? Why, they would become obsessed with politics. Politics are like drinks, once you start. At the time, Premier Roblin was vehemently opposed to women in Manitoba having the vote. So there was a lot of opposition. It was not vicious, it was uh, uh, satirical. You know, women really should have their place, and their place is not, not in public at all. The following year, Roblin's government fell out of power. And in 1916, Manitoba became the first province in Canada to grant women the provincial vote. Despite that victory, women weren't even considered persons in the eyes of the Canadian government, according to the British North American Act. McClung, along with a group of others, we know them as the Famous Five, championed the rights of women. They took the case to the Supreme Court and then to the Privy Council of England, who, in 1929, finally declared that women were indeed persons. It was a start. The gains were incremental. They weren't overnight. And I think that that's what Nellie and her colleagues hoped, that once you had the vote, things would change. Once you were persons, things would change. And of course, we know we're still having that struggle today. Women have come a long way in Manitoba and in Canada since then. But have we come far enough? Would Nellie McClung be proud of where we are today? 
I reached out to McClung's great-granddaughter to get her perspective. Caitlin McClung is a policy analyst in Toronto. I think she would be happy that we continue to to come together to fight, but I think she would also be disappointed that we still need to fight. She would want to live in a world where those who face barriers, uh, that those barriers are removed. Calling them out and demanding change, change to the system, not change to the individual, is is something that um, we're all fighting for right now. I asked Caitlin how she carries on her great-grandmother's legacy. Nellie was a fighter, and I'd like to think that uh, in my daily life, that if I, if I feel that there's an injustice, that I have the power uh, and the willpower to to stand up for those injustices. So, you know, I would say that I was um, I was taught that at a young age. I I'm a mother of a two and a half year old girl. I'm trying to raise her to recognize and know her privilege and understand that um, not everybody is afforded that privilege, and that you know we need to do something about it. Where does she think we need to go from here? Getting to a feminism that I think is going to work for everybody eventually. And what I really mean by that is that there's groups of women who continue to be, um, they're not reaping the benefits of Nellie McClung's and others' leadership, and we need to continue to address that. And I'm very hopeful that, uh, that we're starting to do that. But there's still a lot of work to be done. And how are we going to get there? I am very hopeful. Um, but I think we have to continue to apply pressure on decision makers and ensure that, um, you know, there's there's a lot of discourse right now on some of these issues in the in the general public. And we need to keep that discourse going. And I don't think we've seen this this type of discourse in 20, 30 years since the 70s. And um, we just need to keep it going. And so I, I am very hopeful because I think there's there's a an amazing amount of leadership right now in this area and um, people aren't going to give up. It's clear if Nellie were here today, she would want us to work with others to make a difference and to keep on making a noise. I think we have to have heroes. Um, I think that Nellie stands as a hero for us. I think she stands for someone who says you can have a voice. If you use your voice and you work with others, you can make a huge change and just go ahead and do it and let them howl. 680 CJOB's Shanna Lee Vidal, thank you very much for that. And uh, she did suggest that there was Wonder Woman music in there. I picked up on it immediately, so thank you for including that. Uh, Shanna Lee Vidal, great feature on that. And you'll have you'll hear some more Shattering Glass stuff throughout the day as our four-day series concludes. We have more at cjob.com, and we've been working with our friends at Global Television as well to bring this uh, series to you. As we've been telling you about this week, we had our coffee and talked at 645 about the things that we've sort of taken away from the series. And it's been uh, a real eye-opening week for me, Greg. So um, just wanted to... Sort of add that extra two cents. No, I think it's uh, absolutely mandatory to do so. Uh, entrepreneurship, such a big part of the things that we like to talk about, close to both of our hearts, and and celebrating that. And when you realize some of the obstacles that some of the brightest entrepreneurs in our province and our city are, uh, the barriers that they've overcome.
it's it's kind of shocking, and it might be the biggest part of the story for me this week. For more stories, go to cjob.com and search Winnipeg Women. One, two, three. Time for three things with Chantelie Vidal, and it is three things to look forward to this weekend with the focus on International Women's Day and Shattering Glass. Hi. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Greg. Good morning. It's very beautiful outside uh, in behind you. The horror frost has made an appearance after all that heavy snow on the trees. The trees are really uh, becoming quite the accoutrement Ooh, this, it, this I'm looking uh, right, right now. It is, it is beautiful, I know. And after that snowfall, the, how nicely decorated the trees were. Oh, lovely. I, I, mean, want, I want to give a shout out to Brent Bellamy, our good friend on Twitter. He had some incredible pictures of the trees with the heavy snow on it contrasted with the uh, buildings in the exchange district. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> What's uh, happening this weekend, Shanalee, well, that we'll want to check out? Well, it's funny because there's people are losing their minds over that new $10 bill. Okay. Losing their minds. So it, excited. The one with the Viola Desmond. Good, bad, otherwise? Good, good. In a good okay. way. I think it's also, it's they're kind of confounded because it's a... Uh, it's vertical. And they were like, oh my goodness, it's vertical. And it's it's exciting and new and fresh. And uh, what's really cool is the back of it features one of our great landmarks, the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, which is already a big tourist destination. I think it's going to even really be an even bigger one now once that goes into circulation. I, I, I think there's somewhat of a chance of that. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think so. we can debate whether it'll be effective, but uh, I think there is a chance. What's happening at the museum this weekend? Well, this weekend, in honor of International Women's Day, which was yesterday, the uh, museum has created a unique theme tour. So it's going to take you through various exhibits that are focused on women's rights that they have located throughout the museum. And it, so if you're going, make sure you allow 90 minutes for the tour and then you can just go off on your own and explore the vast museum. It is a very vast place. It's the kind of museum where one day isn't enough. It's You need multiple days to see everything. So I think a tour is neat because it's going to kind of focus you on some particular things. Right. And so it's going to run and it's going to run until Sunday at 1 p.m. and it'll cost you $5 with admission. And of course, it's free for members. Cool. Yeah. I, members. I, I I didn't know you could be a I member. You, now you know. See, Shanley Vidal's full of uh, amazing information. The Royal Aviation Museum of Western Canada is a spectacular place to spend a few hours, whether you have kids or not. If you even have a little bit of a love affair with airplanes, it's a kind of a neat place to go. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's and it's so close. I mean, we're lucky to have our airport located right in our city. I think that is that is one of the highlights of, of Winnipeg. And of course, the Aviation Museum is, is very close to the airport on Ferry Road. And they're doing a special guided tour this month with a focus on pioneering women in aviation. So the tour is going to introduce you to the first women who flew in wartime, uh, to commer- to the first women who flew in commercial airlines, and even up into space. I didn't know women flew aircraft in wartime. I did not know that. Neither did I. Mm. That's that's cool. I know. Very cool. So those guided tours are running on Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 2 p.m., and the tours are free with paid admission. 
And it sounds like a lot of fun. Okay. Sure it does. And the, the Aviation Museum uh, near the airport at 958 Ferry Road. One of the reasons why I like going there, too, because it's so close to the airport. It just There's something about being in that part of the the, the area that you feel like you shouldn't be there. You know? <laughs> it's like, true. Because you're so close to all the planes. Like you're I, inside the walls, sort yeah, of, right? That's what it feels like when you go there. You feel like you're, you know, you've managed to sneak your way into something really special. So, yeah, check it out. Very cool. And so our third thing, this one is neat because this one is going to inspire you to get crafty. Like crafty, like um, where I'm getting mischievous crafty <laughs> or is there another well, ca- craft beer yeah. crafty. I think there's a Beastie Boys song called She's Crafty. If I'm, <laughs> I, I'll have to ask Jeff Braun about that. Anyway, sorry. It, 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 I mean, it could do that, but I think the main focus is going to be on doing crafts, crafts with your hands. Oh, okay. Kind of like art. So Mawa, mentoring artists for women's art, are hosting a craft stravaganza oh, oh. tomorrow afternoon. I love that word. Craft stravaganza. Craft stand. <laughs> I can't say it. One more time. Craft strands. Craft stravaganza. Yeah, that one. That's the one. Tomorrow afternoon. It's, it's, the, it's the 10th year they've done it. There's going to be all sorts of workshops where you can learn crafting techniques from all over the world. Some of the crafts demonstrated include uh, peyote stitch beading, Ukrainian embroidery for beginners, because it, it is very complicated, and uh, sweet grass baskets. It runs tomorrow from noon until 4 p.m. They're located at 511 Main Street. And the cool thing is admission is free. All mm. materials will be provided. And if you got little ones and you're worried, oh, what am I going to do with them? I don't have a sitter. Child minding services are going to be provided. Child minding. Child I like minding, that. Child minding, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I understand that they're going to have some snacks as well. Okay. <laughs> they, they've they've uh, really, maybe these two terminologies will make it into the uh, Oxford Dictionary Canadian version next year. Craft stravaganza and child minding. Yeah, what is what do you think child minding entails? Is just like uh, they put them on a leash and and oh, tie I don't them to think a pole? A, it, I, I don't think there's a, that, that much interaction. I think it's kind of like yeah, they're there. They'll they'll be fine. I, th- I think it's someone to to watch over your children, make sure they're safe, so that uh, you can enjoy yourself. I think someone uh, just uh, was observing my parenting style and just kind of, yeah, he's kind of a child minder. <laughs> parenting tips from Greg Mackling. <laughs> Thanks, Shadley Vidal. Thanks for everything this week. Have a terrific weekend. Thank you. Hey, our next guest is an, I love this terminology, Brett, an activational speaker with a specialty in health and well-being. She says when she started presenting at safety conferences about 16 years ago, people referred to her as the Barbie doll. So to learn more about the challenges she faces as a woman because of our series, Shattering Glass, Winnipeg's Women, she is a speaker and she can speak on this, and she's a good friend of this radio station and a good friend of ours. Her name is Sylvia Marusic. She joins us live on 680 CJOB. Sylvia, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Terrific, and it's, it's always a better day whenever we get to speak to you, Sylvia. Uh, you know what? I feel that is the way I love starting my day with you guys. And Brett's heard me whine a few times that I loved you on the afternoon show, too, because I got to listen to you on the way home. So if you end up doing both shows, it's all good to me. <laughs> well, uh, Hal Anderson might have, some... anymore. <laughs> Al might have something to say about that. Well, and... He can join you. Yeah, okay. Well, sounds great. We'll just have a party. So let's talk about the, the impact of um, not only conversations, because uh, I know you've been listening to our <laughs> series this week on yeah. Shattering Glass. Uh, how's that resonated with you? Oh, my goodness. It's just 
it's just so progressive and so groundbreaking to do a series like this. I'm so proud that you guys are doing it and that you're putting Manitoba on the map for doing something like this. I mean, there's movements all over the world for sure uh, to support women, maybe not all over the world, but certainly in North America. Um, and that's fantastic. But I, I just, I love these stories and I love hearing them. They actually make me quite sad and angry at times, but I love the fact that we're moving forward. And I have some horrific stories, which I won't share today. Um, uh, but but the funny one that I, I thought was funny um, was about seven years after I started presenting at safety conferences, which are, you know, predominantly male. It's a it's a fairly male dominated profession, male dominated audiences for sure. When you're you're speaking at a safety conference, it was about seven years later that somebody had the guts to confess to me that people on some of the organizing committees and sort of in the planning. Um, area for these conferences uh, referred to me as the Barbie doll. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not because I'm so attractive. That is not why. It's the high heels and the, um, the, the makeup and the hair and the nails are done. And because that's who I am. That's how I roll. It's my public service. And uh, <laughs> they thought, you know, if I were addressed to a safety conference, you know, what do I know about industrial ergonomics. You know, that just gets me angry. I was, I was speaking to somebody else about that the, the other day, a, a woman that I know who's extremely well-dressed. But but, but mm-hmm. here's, the, here's the thing. Here was the point of view I brought. Like, men wear the uniform to these things, right? Because we, we all mm-hmm. wear a suit. We all wear a tie. We all wear a, a button-up shirt. And so we all, mm-hmm. for the most part, except for maybe a little bit, sometimes some of us will go beyond the boundaries and express ourselves with our necktie. But that's about mm-hmm. it, right? Not a lot of guys walking into these conferences in pink. Uh, dress suits. So uh, mm-hmm. it's unusual to see someone expressing mm-hmm. themselves uh, with their style of clothing, man or woman. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? We judge people. And the person who told me this said um, there was actually, you know, somebody actually made the comment, uh, she better speak as good as she looks. Wow. And once, yeah, and that person was um, embarrassed to tell me that, but felt it was time to fess up. And when the evaluations came in, apparently the discussion was somewhat sheepish after that. And it was, okay, I think we made a mistake because the evaluations are really good. So then the comment was, she also has a brain. Wow. It was really interesting. And I don't think any of those things were, I don't think the intention was specifically derogatory. I feel like some people are just, they, they have less of a filter about sharing their judgments. And the truth is, is that we judge people on the basis of numerous things, gender, the way they dress, the way they look, the way they speak or don't speak. You know, we do that all the time. It's categorically wrong, but it is absolutely a human, a human trait. And I feel like what happened in this situation is that somebody didn't check what they were saying. They thought it, and then they said it. And it, you know what? I wasn't offended or hurt um, at the time. And now when I think about it, I think, ouch, that was a little 
But I was more happy that they gave me the opportunity to earn my stripes. Um, you know, no hard feelings whatsoever. I love those people at that conference, and some of them are still there. Some of them aren't there. They're my friends. I love them. You know, I would do anything for them uh, within reason, <laughs> but no hard feelings. So, Sylvia, activational speaker, what is that? Well, it's a little different from a motivational or inspirational speaker, which we absolutely have desperate need of in this world we live in. Um, I, I'm an occupational therapist, and we not only inspire and motivate people, but we then give them tools to change whatever situation they're in that is causing them uh, to be unhappy or unsatisfied or ill-equipped to, to do the things they need to do. So we provide tools uh, or training to help them become independent. And for me, being an activational speaker means that you will be inspired and motivated, hopefully by what I share, but I will also give you the tools to change your life. And whether you use those tools or not is totally, of course, up to the, up to the audience to decide, but I will make it simple and give you very specific tools so that you can walk out of a presentation or a keynote or a workshop or a lunch and learn in your office and say, I really need to change this behavior or change my well-being, and I know exactly what to do because I just got that tool. Sylvia, what are, what would be one common thing that many of us can be guilty of that is prohibiting us from being at our best, uh, whether you're a man or a woman? One one thing on that list that you inspire people to change or think about changing. Oh my gosh! Don't ask me to give you a one. I'm going to give you a vague sort of umbrella statement first of all, and then I'll give you something really specific. The vague umbrella statement is effort. I think many of us believe that health um, is genetic, you know, I have low blood pressure because my parents had low blood pressure, or that we somehow think it's random, or, you know, I'm unlucky because I have poor health, you're lucky because you have good health. It's not like that. You know, the older you get, the more effort it requires. And if you are not doing something every day to improve your well-being, it is just going to deteriorate just as our as as we deteriorate with age, we become less strong unless we work our muscles. We become less healthy unless we activate our health. So that's the first thing I would say is put effort on your to-do list. And then the second thing I would say is I really feel that um, stress and the effects of stress are the biggest health epidemic that we're dealing with. Mental health is on the rise. Mental health issues are on the rise. Some of those relate to the stress that we deal with in life, for sure. Some of them are genetic. Some of them are biochemical. Um, but managing stress, learning, having functional, positive coping skills to manage stress will be life-altering and will improve people's quality of life and help us live well until we die. Sylvia, we got to leave it there. But thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Okay, hopefully next time you'll come visit us in studio. 
I will. I will absolutely drop in for a visit. But I'd love for there to be some of that good food that you guys have been featuring all week. <laughs> okay. Can you do that for me? I can. I can probably do that. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Have a beautiful weekend. All right, you too, Sylvia. Thank you so much, Sylvia Marusic, activational speaker with a specialty in health and well-being, occupational therapist, and just one of our one of our pals here yeah. at six eighty CJOB. After almost 20 years off the air, North of 60 is returning to television. Thanks to the passionate fans of the show, APTN is bringing the entire series, all six seasons, back. Some could say it's very timely, considering all of our recent conversations on Tina Fontaine, how that trial turned out, and Colton Bushy. Joining us now live on 680 CJOB is Karen Pugliese, who is APTN's Director of News and Current Affairs. Karen, good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. So for those who maybe are unfamiliar uh, or maybe just kind of recognize the name but maybe need a refresher, what is North of 60? Well, it was um, a a show and it's set in a fictional town in uh, Northwest Territories that's a First Nations community. Um, The town was called Lynx River. And it really tackled a lot of, well, with humor and with uh, gentleness, but also, you know, tackled some tough topics about cultural preservation. Um, they would have topics about alcoholism, the struggles of just running a First Nations community, and other issues that uh, are still relevant today. Karen, one of the favorite interviews I've ever done in the last nine years or so was with Tom Jackson, and I was flipping channels the other day, and I noticed North of 60 was on, Tina Keeper also in that program, and uh, Tom Jackson, his presence, his presentation on that program, so powerful. Yeah, yeah. I I also liked that you mentioned Tina Keeper. I I loved um, having a woman play the uh, RCMP constable as well. Um, you got to see Aboriginal people really, you know, like sort of before North of 60, maybe the, the other times that you would have seen Indigenous people on television might have been the beachcombers. Like there was really a long gap. Yes. And for a lot of people, this was the first time that uh, we saw Indigenous people on TV sort of living their lives nine to five, doing their jobs, and we could all relate to them. Like everybody knew somebody like that. Jesse on the Beachcombers, uh, one of my favorite characters on the Beachcombers. You're, you're taking me back now, Karen. I'm going to get distracted, <laughs> oh God, so we have I'm to say <laughs> we have to stay focused because we only have a, a few minutes. So, why is it so important? Not only you know the show is standalone on its own, uh, an incredible piece of Canadiana, and uh, like you say, an honest reflection in in your view of life uh, on uh, First Nations in Canada. But what, the the timing of this. Well, I, I, the timing of it is, um, I think that we've had a lot of people who just wanted to see the show coming back, honestly. Um, and so we've had people writing in and sending petitions in, and we just couldn't get the rights to it until now. So, that, so that's the real reason for bringing it back now. But do you think that the fact that you have been in, or you are now able to present this show once again, given with what has what happened with? Uh, the court cases involving Tina Fontaine and Colton Bushy, you know, those triggered some some passionate and uh, and some passion and anger across Canada. Uh, so, do you think that the, the the fact that the show is coming back is like I guess maybe just connect those dots for us if you can. 
I, I think what you're seeing, like you're sensing something, and I think you're right. I, I think what you're sensing is we now have a word for it, and we call it reconciliation. We're seeing that uh, the larger public is taking more of an interest in First Nations people, Métis people, Inuit people, and who we are. They're not seeing this as necessarily separate. Tina Fontaine was, I've heard it said, everybody's daughter. She was a 15-year-old girl. She was everybody's daughter. Everybody could see, like, oh, my God, that could happen to my kid. And so um, I think what you're seeing is just this coming together of Indigenous and non-Indigenous people in Canada um, and uh, people wanting to understand uh, how we live our lives, how we celebrate our joys of our lives and the struggles that we have. Karen, we got to wrap it up. But listen, thank you so much uh, for joining us to talk about this and uh, for bringing the show back. That's great news. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing it again, too. I I forget some of the episodes, so I'll catch them all now. Okay. Karen Pugliese, thank you so much for joining us. She is APTN's Director of News and Current Affairs. Once again, APTN now has the rights to the entire series of North of 60 all six seasons, and it airs Sundays at 6 p.m. our time. Mondays, if you're up super early like we are, you can catch it at 2.30 in the morning, and then again uh, in the afternoon, Monday to Friday at 4 p.m. Oh, born to run the little Bruce Springsteen, an homage to Jeff Braun. Springsteen is his favorite performer, and to our next guest, guest with all due respect to the two gentlemen that have come along with our next guest. Uh, I suspect that as she does uh, on stage is all over, uh, Catherine's going to steal the show here this morning. Macklin McGarry on a Friday, the Food Fair Winnipeg Police Service Half Marathon is taking place Sunday, May the 6th. It's sponsored by 680 CJOB. Jeff Courier will be the MC, And this event, Brett, has sold out for 13 straight years. And this weekend, it's kind of their early bird deadline after Sunday. The rates are going up. To tell us more, who's here? We are joined by Nick Paulette, who is the race director, Winnipeg Police Half Marathon. We have John Douglas from the Canadian Cancer Society and Catherine Reeford Ledlow. That's who's, right. Who's a, brain, <laughs> who's a brain cancer advocate. And uh, thank you so much, the three of you, for joining us today. Catherine, why don't we start with you? Uh, sure. You've been, what do you, you want to know? When did you, well, you have brain cancer. Yes, I do. When did you first, what was the first sort of alarm bell? Um, well, I didn't have any. My husband did um, and some of my friends. I just had a like, really terrible well, now I know that they were migraines, but I kept saying, like, if I could say that I had a migraine, I think I have one right now, but I've never had one, so I don't really know. Um, but I just had a baby. Um, she was five weeks old. Uh, I was dizzy, but, you know, what happens after you have a baby? You lose a lot of weight, you get, you know, so I just didn't really worry about it. I just had, of course, other excuses for it. Um, and finally, uh, my best friend had flown in from um, Los Angeles and we were doing a workout. He's a, a workout, a fitness guru guy. And uh, we were doing workout using my daughter as like weights. So I had her in like a little <laughs> little pack. And I said, and Craig knows me better than anybody. And I sort of said, um, I think we have to stop. My head just hurts too much. You have to go to the emergency room, Catherine. And I was like, no, don't be stupid. Um, and then the next day I was talking to my husband who was in the shower and I was sort of leaning against the wall. I said, oh, I'm really dizzy. He said, oh, go lie down. 
And so instead of like going to the bed, which was like right behind me, I just lay down on the ground and he sort of got out of the shower and he's like, what are you doing? What's wrong? I'm like, I was dizzy. I just lay down like you told me to. And he's like, bed's right there. What? And I'm like, oh, I didn't see the bed. And he was like, you need to call the doctor like now. And I was like, I'll call him in the morning. So I didn't call him in the morning. I waited until I was studying for my nursing exam because I actually, I, I am a nurse as well. So I, uh, I was studying for a nursing exam, and as my husband was leaving to go to work, he said, did you call the hospital yet? And I was like, oh, fine, I'll call her right now. And I called, and I called my midwife because I didn't have a doctor. I'd never really been sick. And they said, she said, uh, you need to go to the emergency room right now. And I was like, ha you're so funny. You no, know, like now, immediately. And I was like, oh, fine. So I sent my husband off to work. I arranged care for my son and brought my daughter with me. I drove to the hospital. And I walked in and I guess she had told them that I was coming and they immediately took me back. They, um, I was like, I think something's wrong with my heart. I think it's just not compensating enough. You know, as being a nursing student, I had self-diagnosed myself. So I went in and I told them what I thought. And so they did like a whole bunch of EKGs and they're like, there's nothing wrong with your heart, but we're going to do a, a CT scan just to make sure like I gave birth naturally to Quinn. So they wanted to make sure there weren't any like small brain, mm. brain bleeds or anything. So they uh, did a scan and they're like, well, um, there's a mass in your, in your brain and uh, we're going to have to take it. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I was thinking it was like an AVM, so, um, arterial venous malformation. Uh, and, and they were like, well, do you want to see it? And I was like, yeah, sure. And they showed it to me and it was like bigger. Well, my surgeon said it was bigger than his fist and he had really big hands. Whoa. So um, it was right here. So it was on my speech center. So they uh, they said, well, she's gonna have to be awake, and which I thought was really cool. And I, um, <laughs> I, I love <laughs> cool. I love anatomy. You know, I love I love stuff like that. I'm very science minded. So were you holding up your iPhone, doing the selfie video? <laughs> no, I actually, but I took or? a picture of the. I can of show it to you did. later. I took a picture of it because I thought it was really cool. So when, but so when I was in my surgery, I was like pinned on my side, and I there was screens that, you know, the way they see up close. And I was like, can you move one of those screens so I can see it? So I watched my whole brain surgery, which I thought was really awesome. Wow. Keep yeah. talking. <laughs> Tell us more. This is fascinating, um, Catherine. Well, so, so like, they don't really know what it is until, so, like, you go through surgery and then you have to sort of wait two weeks to find out kind of what's going on and what what type of cancer it is or tumor or right. whatever. So mine is cancer, so they gave me two to six years to live. Um, it's been almost, so I was diagnosed June 24th, 2013. Um, and um, I had surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, um, and, you know, I'm stable MRI, knock on wood. Sorry, knock on wood. That's not, is that wood? Is this wood? Yes, okay. for these um, purposes, okay, it's perfect. absolutely I just knocked on wood, by the way. Uh, no, I, uh, so I am stable right now, so that's that's all that I can hope for. I mean, uh, I've been following your journey on Facebook a little bit, and you have two beautiful children. Oh, I do. And, and an amazing uh, husband, your husband's Joel. incredible. I know. He and, puts up with me. Can you believe it? You know, and but I mean, you were essentially, in my mind, you know, dancers, performers. Brett and I have a tremendous uh, respect uh, for them. You're a professional athlete, yeah. is essentially what you are. And so, was it giving birth? 
did it, in fact, help in terms of tr- helping trigger this headache? Or was they it just... They don't ju- know. I, I actually was on one of the support group lines last night, and every, somebody was talking about um, being diagnosed almost directly after they had their baby, which is yeah. what happened to me. I think it's just, I think it's there, and I think I, I have no proof of any of this, but in, I feel as though... Something I, when I had like all the pregnancy hormones might have stimulated it. I don't, I think it was already probably there. It just made it grow faster. I don't know. Yeah, of course. But man, there's like so many stories of that, but you could also just be coincidence. Who knows? And I, and there's nothing I can really say to prove that. That's part of the challenge, right? I mean, every year there's Mm -hmm. about uh, just uh, almost 2,100 families across Canada that deal with this kind of of, of situation in terms of brain cancer. And the challenge, of course, is this, is that while, while research and work has improved the survival rate for most cancers in general, it used to be one in four, and now it's about 63 to 65%. With brain cancer, it continues to be around 23%. It's stubbornly low, and we know that the only way to deal with that is actually by investing and and by doing more into research, which is why things like the the WPS half marathon are so important, because there's a commitment there to raise money for brain cancer. The Cancer Society has been able to work with Brain Canada to actually. So usually, what happens is people go out and raise the money, then you hold a competition for research, and then you award the money. Right. And there's a gap of about a year, maybe even more between the time the money's raised and when it works, because the, the, the WPS, because they've made this commitment, we actually have people out there working now because we know that that money's going to continue to flow. So it meant that we could get accelerate research. So in the time that we've had that, um, in the last couple of years, we've been able to invest $11.3 million into brain cancer, which Yay. I have to tell you is three times more than before we started Amazing. that it had ever been done. And that that's, works out to be about 30 researchers across the country doing their work now, and they can do it because they know the money's coming in. And and what's so important is, is that when people like Catherine, who I will tell you is our biggest fundraiser, not a surprise when you <laughs> when you hear, um, when you when you look at that, um, every dollar that you donate to Catherine is doubled by Brain Canada. So it has double the impact and it gets working right away. And, and, and you know, the other part of it is, is that brain cancer, while it affects people like Catherine, it affects kids and it mm-hmm. kills kids. It's the leading cause of, of childhood uh, cancer death. And so it's why, and, and even the kids that survive brain cancer, Two-thirds of them have significant uh, brain trauma. We're, 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 we've got a, a family up in, in, in Brandon uh, that, that their daughter has to come down every month. And I'll tell you, their life is like nothing you'd ever want to have. John Douglas is with the Canadian Cancer Society. And Catherine Reeford Ludlow is a brain cancer advocate, survivor, uh, performer extraordinaire, and also joining us in studio, Nick Paulette, race director, Winnipeg Police Half Marathon. And Nick, it's important people sign up for this half marathon before Sunday. Why? Because we are all Winnipeggers and we love to save money. (laughs) But it's also a good cause and the race does sell out every year. So we encourage people to save some money, secure a spot in the race, come and join Catherine. Uh, both to have fun with your family and friends on race day on May 6th. 
but also to be a part of, uh, like I say, something that sells out every year. And so it becomes kind of valuable. In fact, people will will uh, will try to sell and Tell buy bibs tickets, on yeah. Kijiji or whatever. Uh, really? Sites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of fascinating. Um, which brings with it other headaches as a race director, but I'll just we'll just leave it at it's it's uh, it's nice to know that the spots are popular. Yeah, well, I mean, this is one of the premier race events in the city of Winnipeg. I'd say probably the second, just behind the the Manitoba Marathon. I think it's very fair to say we have lots of great running events in Manitoba, but uh, uh, we've certainly found our niche uh, as one of the most popular, and uh, we're grateful. Uh, shout out to Food Fair for being the presenting sponsor, Absolutely. but we also want to uh, tap the shoulder of a regular guest of ours and uh, a friend of the show, <laughs> Tim Comac, Ventura Hi, Homes. Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I know Tim really stepped up yes, last he did. year. Catherine, why don't you tell us what he did last year? And we're not pressuring you to do exactly no, the no, same not thing at all, but you even do more. I mean, uh, so <laughs> what he he's amazing. Uh, so Tim, his company, Ventura Homes, uh, sort of uh, said between this date and this date, we would double whatever the money came in. And it, I think it was at least $5,000, maybe more. I think it was like 7000 So it was awesome. So. How much did you raise last year? Uh, 24000 My goodness. So we have to mention how that was leveraged. Oh, yes. So I think they already did. So what okay. happens is I raised $12,000 and then Brain Canada doubles it. And so then that money also goes to the cancer study for brain cancer research. But your total to date, though, is? Oh, 40000 yeah. So I want to get that at least to 60000 Well, in the multiplier effect, and we know about research with medical research, yeah. that turns in grant money, turns into matching yeah. funds from government, and there's yeah. a huge multiplier. We've got and like a minute. it's so important. Okay, so I just want to talk about the show that I'm doing right now. Please. Because also in the show, in the program, it's the the link to my my uh, sponsorship is or my fundraising is on there. So I'm I'm performing right now. We will open next Friday. It's at the Winnipeg uh, with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. It's at the concert hall, but it's also sponsored co-sponsored by Rainbow Stage. And I'm playing the role of Cassie, which is my dream role in a chorus line. And it's going to be with. It's never been done before. It's being played by the entire symphony orchestra with strings and everything, and it's never been done. And I'm like super excited. And I, we haven't heard the orchestra yet, but we're going to hear them next week. And I'm so so excited to hear them. I heard it's just amazing. And so I'm I'm very excited. And you're going to post, post it on uh, my link on your website, right? We're going to post this interview yeah. so people can enjoy it over and over again. <laughs> Catherine, you're magnificent. We'll give a shout out to our friend Julian Pelicano as well at WSO for putting this together. Gentlemen, yes. thank you for this. Uh, congratulations on this fantastic event and good luck to everyone trying to get in on the race. WPSHalfMarathon.ca Again, once again, our guests are Catherine Reeford Ledlow, brain cancer advocate, John Douglas, Canadian Cancer Society, and Nick Paulette, race director for the Winnipeg Police Half Marathon. I'm Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling, Behind the Glass Jerry, and Shannon Lee Vidal. Thank you for listening to CJOB. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then,